All right, hey church, how's it going? Uh, I am in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9, says this. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That passage speaks to an eternity of praise. God was, God is, God is to come. Um, I was thinking about this church, about the tone and the flavor of this particular church. We've been here a long time. Um, and one of the things that I have heard consistently over the years is the worthiness of God, that God is worthy of being at the center of our attention, that he is worthy of being king and reigning and ruling. You hear Pastor Scott say that all the time. God rules and reigns over all of it. And as long as I've been here, that has been very confidently proclaimed uh, by this church. And I, I love that. It has, impl- it has impacted me uh, all through my adult life. So we're going to sing a whole worship set that reflects that, actually.
of darkness now has ended in the kingdom of light in the kingdom of light forever under your dominion you're the king of my life you're the king of my life you reign above it all you reign above You poured out your life just to give us new life. Now from the lips of the forgiven, let an anthem arise. Cause Jesus, you're alive. Sing it out. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an
of it all. Let all the heaven and the earth erupt in song. Sing hallelujah to the everlasting one. There is no higher name. Jesus, you reign above it all. Well, it is the fourth weekend in February. What's going on this weekend? ABF Online. We're so glad you're with us again this weekend. And I just have a few things to keep you tied in and posted in and clued in and every other kind of in I can come up with today. How's that? First of all, we're still wanting to pray for you. We always love it when you text us with your prayer requests at 97,000. 97000. And uh, please do that because we have been holding you up in prayer and we want to continue to do that. Then, also want to announce that our men's Bible study is continuing to meet on Tuesdays at 8 a.m. And we're going to continue that Zoom option. So you can either get on live with us at 8 o'clock or join me via Zoom on Tuesday mornings. We're still studying the life of Christ. Uh, he had a three year ministry. I'm in the third year. And if we're lucky, we will finish this study you know, sometime in 2027. Next, Canary Valley Meal Program. We are back making the meals, providing the food. And so if you could uh, sign up on our website to do that, we're going to be assembling those meals uh, on Monday, March 8th. And so go ahead on the website and sign up for all the different things that we are providing that day. Then women's Bible studies. Adrian tells me that there's lots of ways that you can connect with Women here at ABF, you just need to go on the website and check out all the information of the different groups that are currently meeting. And then, it is epic. We do this every year. It's our men's breakfast. Usually, it's in January. Bacon. Bacon. There's a reason why you should come, because I think we're going to have... What are we going to have again? One more time. I think we're going to have this breakfast. We're going to have a speaker. And then I think we're going to have... Bacon. That would be awesome, all you can eat. And so we want to have a lot of fun March 20th, 8.30 to 10.30. And so after breakfast and our small groups and all that are going on that morning, then we're going to have some pickleball right here on our own court. And uh, Pastor Scott informs me that he will teach you how to play pickleball at the men's breakfast on March 20th. And then thanks so much for your generosity and your giving You have provided so graciously uh, during this time. And so we, again, want to remind you, you can give online, you can mail your check on, et cetera. And we know that more and more of you are showing up here on Sundays. We're looking forward to seeing all of you uh, in the days and weeks ahead. And even as we get ready for Easter, as we prepare, you don't want to miss what's coming up. And so thank you again, church, for what you're doing. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. All right, well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, John, for leading us, and uh, good to be back together in our uh, little cozy couch area. Uh, In case you haven't heard any reports lately, I just heard from these guys that they had a positive report for how the baby's progressing, two thumbs up today. Uh, We were joking about the fact that if she gradually slides down in the seat during the sermon, that we shouldn't be surprised by that. So fun. well, we're coming. Uh, I feel like this is an interesting kind of change of, of seasons in the kind of state of the world a little bit. I feel like we've come out of a, a stretch where, man, if you're like me, it's just been kind of a, a season of being in a bit of a funk. As I talked to so many different people, this past year has just been uh, filled with just a lot of, well, obvi- the obvious stuff, the isolation, the loneliness factor, definitely the anxiety meter has been up for so many of us. And really, if you think about it, as I talk to people, it's because so many things have been stripped away from our normal routines, our freedoms, our work, finances, family, friends, church, like entertainment stuff, just things that we're familiar with. It's really thrown us for a loop. I'm uh, actually just personality-wise, I tend to be somewhat of a 
optimistic person and positive, but even myself, I found myself a number of times in the past uh, nine to 12 months, just kind of feeling a little bit just in a, in a weird place and in, in a funk. And if you're like me you, and you're not normally like that, you've wondered like, well, how do I, how do I get back to kind of being a, a joyful person? How do you reclaim what was once there? I was listening to a, a sermon this last week that I was really blessed by a former elder passed on to me. And the pastor was talking about, this is a season where we start to dream again. It's kind of like coming out of hibernation where you start to think like, oh, what, what could things be like? And so I think that the timing for our passage today is absolutely perfect because the setting where we're at, if you remember from last week, we're just on the other side of the Last Supper and Jesus is with his 11 disciples now that Judas has uh, dismissed himself. He's with his 11 disciples. Now he's walking the distance. He's walking the distance between where the upper room was at and where the Garden of Gethsemane is out, a little bit of, uh, uh, over a mile distance. And in that mile walk, he's having a conversation. That's where we're going to be today in this passage, John 15. He's having this conversation with the disciples and he's sharing all kinds of life-giving things and things that are going to give hope in the midst of the, the challenging days that are ahead for them. I found it interesting because he explains the reason for this conversation. I think this is important for us to look at. It's in chapter 15. It's jumping ahead, but it's in verse 11. It says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, the things that he wants to share that he's downloading in some of these final conversations, the things he's trying to convey and get across to them in these uh, last moments before his betrayal and his ultimate death. Before that, he has some things that he wants to make sure take root so that they have an abundance of joy, joy to the full, that's what we're intended to live as the Christian life. That, now, I'm not, I'm not talking about Tom Cruise, uh, Katie Holmes kind of excited happiness. I'm talking about a deep-rooted joy, something that lasts and, and perseveres even difficult circumstances. I'm excited to get in this passage in a section I'm titling Reclaiming Joy. Let me pray before I do that. Lord Jesus, thanks again for this chance to be together in your word. And we don't take that for granted, the freedom to do that even through video. We ask through this section of scripture that we'd be able to really enter in. And as we start to turn a corner as a, as a people, as individuals, as a, uh, coming out of maybe the, a, a dark season of the world, that we start to dream again, that we start to look to your word about what it looks like to reclaim the joy that we once had, and even abundant joy that exceeds joy that we once had. We're excited to see what you're going to teach to us through this very uh, just critical passage in the teaching of Jesus. So we commit this time to you now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned last week, we're not covering every single verse, but I'm hitting on some big themes. But this first section, these first 11 verses, which I was told was in Josh and Lindsay's wedding, uh, these first 11 verses, we're going to definitely take a moment to actually read these and let God's word wash over you. Here's where it begins. Verse 1, I am the true vine, this is Jesus speaking, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you, you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. A lot there. So much uh, to cover there. Really, uh, as I look back, I'm like, man, I for sure could have just broken that into three weeks. But we're going to hit on some big ideas here. You got, as I had mentioned, this is in this uh, walk. It's a conversation that they're having in this trip between uh, the upper room and Gethsemane. And it's interesting because you think about the terrain that they'd be walking through, even those of us that have gotten to spend some time in Israel, you'd realize that they literally would have been walking past a variety of different grapevines. It was so prevalent in that culture and, and just so commonplace as you're going into a garden area. So it's obvious that it's an agricultural illustration, but it's a little bit more than that as he talks about vines and branches. You see, the vine was a picture of Jewish nationalism in that day. It would have been a kind of like a present day picture of the bald eagle, something that you associate with national pride. Because really it was at the root of what they associated is how they were connected to God. Through Abraham, they saw the, the vine of their, of their generation after generation, their nationalism as their hope for connecting with God himself. So here Jesus is correcting some false or misunderstandings about how one is connected to God himself, the vine dresser in this illustration. This is, and I told you I'd point it out every time they came up, this is the sixth of seven I am statements found in the book of John. Here is number six, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's explaining that he's the only way. It's not because of your nationality or your family tree. It's because of your being either connected to me or not connected to me. He's, he, he's really flipping the script of what they had grasped or understood as their means or ways to God. It also, in this, you notice as the conversation goes on, it also starts to pick up a, a theme that there's an expectation for believers in this. I don't know if you guys pick it up when you read through that section. The expectation for believers is something, as he compares to the vine, is that we bear fruit, that we bear fruit. You plant a vineyard, it's for a very different reason than you plant a flower garden. A flower garden, you expect to see some flowers. A vineyard, what do you think you wanna expect to see? Grapes, yes, Josh is right on top of this. Basically, a vineyard it is intended to have a, a harvest of grapes. And if it doesn't, doesn't really fulfill its purpose. Our purpose as redeemed believers, someone that's been rescued by the love and grace of Jesus Christ, is that we bear fruit. I'm not just, we, we weren't just designed to, to work nine to five and golf on the weekends. There's more than that. There's an expectation of fruit being a part of the life of a believer. Now, the obvious question that you might ask is like, well, what do you define as fruit? It doesn't go real specific into that. And that's where you have to look a little bit closer and a little bit wider at the New Testament. What are some of the things that define Fruit, what actually is fruit? My former pastor in Chicago, James McDonald, I thought did an excellent job going through this passage many years back. And he touched on a, a list of six different things that scripture in the New Testament define as fruit. I thought these would be valuable to just briefly touch on as we understand this passage and clearly what it's meaning when it says that we're expected to bear much fruit. The first one, and you can see the list there on the screen, the first one is leading people to Christ. Romans 1.13, as he's writing to his audience, he explains his delay in visiting is because he's reaping a harvest amongst, amongst the Gentiles that he wants to do the same with them. He understood that the fruit in a believer's life is to pass on the message, the gospel message, and see lives completely transformed. 
If you're looking into ways to invigorate your life and bring uh, back some degree of, of passion and excitement and joy as described here, man, there's nothing like seeing an eternity redirected, seeing the light click in somebody's eyes. I had an amazing opportunity. I've gotten to be uh, friends with a, a rabbi in the area that has a uh, that leads a, a, a Jewish synagogue close by, and they, it wouldn't be a messianic one. It would be one that's more traditional. And but it, for whatever reason, she has continued to invite me to be on different panels that they do at their church that include different world religions. Well, I showed up at a the, via Zoom this last week for a, a group event that they were doing with their seventh and eighth grade class, and they opened it up for the students to ask some different questions. And man, I'll tell you what, they didn't, they didn't beat around the bush. The students were very interested in asking about Jesus and what, what it is that makes you believe in him. I got to share the gospel from like five different angles. It was amazing. Afterwards, I, I talked to the rabbi. I said, hey, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be so forward with that. She's like, oh, it was great. They're asking really good questions and I like them to engage with people. I'm like, well, there you go. Because I was seeing some, some eyes light up at the gospel message. There's so something about that, that I'll tell you what, if you're looking for something to bring back the joy and passion in your life, look for people in your circle of influence to share the gospel with. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on, but the second one that is listed is the idea of personal holiness. That's another fruit that's expected. Romans 6.22 talks about the fruit of sanctification. In other words, as we're getting transformed more and more in his likeness, there should be a, a mirroring of his character in our life. More and more holy things from this world should start to see uh, the, the st should start to see more and more a separation. Not a separation as living apart from the world in the sense of not engaging, but a separation saying, "I can't participate in this." A movement towards holiness. Romans 15, 27 and 28 talks about financial giving as another result of spiritual blessing transforming into a, a, a generosity that just starts to overflow outside of us. It's a pattern that should be on display in the life of a believer. Godly character. Most of us would be familiar with Galatians 5, 22 that talks about the fruit of the Spirit that our character should be changed, that all of a sudden there should be more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, thankfulness, self-control, all of these things, meekness, all of these things should be a part of a believer's life when he's abiding with the vine. Godly character also, good works. That's another fruit that's expected in a believer's life. When I say good works, Colossians talks about this. Colossians 1.10, bearing fruit in every good work. Good work, a lot of times, is associated to what we're doing in ministry here at the church. My question for us is, have you identified and picked up, rolled up your sleeves and figured out what your weekly kingdom responsibility is. I like that expression, a weekly kingdom responsibility, something that if you weren't there, there would be a gap. There'd be notices. You, you wouldn't want to be at a place at, at ABF where if you were gone for a month, it really, it wouldn't be noticed because there wasn't an active role that you had in service. The more you walk with the Lord, the more you want to be a part of what he's doing. And the primary tool and means that he's at work is through the local church. Good works. Last one in Hebrews 13, 15 talks about the fruit of lips giving praise. Worship should be the part of fruit that's coming out in our lives. We should be growing in our heart for worship. Should be one of those things where when you're away from it for a while, you're just like, man, I, I miss it. It's, a, it's like when you're, when you're coming to church, it's not something that's a, a, hey, I can skip this. If we're running late and miss a few songs, no big deal. Worship should be a part of a believer's life that we're hungry for, that we're passionate about a growing passion for that. All of these things would be descriptors in the New Testament of what the fruit that this passage is talking about is intended to look like. So back to our text, how is this 
fruit possible. We see it in the text, verse five, revisit it. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what would you say based on that is the secret for bearing fruit? What do you guys think? How do you bear fruit? What's the the means? Abiding, abiding in him, abiding. There's a connection. Now, what comes to mind when you think of abiding in him? There's a lot of pictures. Maybe it's you with a cup of coffee, a journal, a Bible by a nice calm lake. Maybe it's a nice walk in the woods. Maybe it's standing out on an ocean pier. I don't know what comes to mind for abiding, but it's not what's pictured here in the text. What does it say in the text? It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So the secret to fruit bearing is abiding, but the secret to abiding is obedience. The secret to abiding is obedience. I was listening to another pastor talking about it this week, and he's like, man, he's like, anytime I talk to my congregation, he says, and I mentioned the word obedience, he says, it kind of has this result. Let me try this out. This is my my one time attempting a balloon illustration. Here we go. So everybody hears about this whole picture. Wow, I just got lighted. This whole picture of abiding. You're like, that sounds great. Sign me up. They hear about this description of of this idea of, of bearing fruit. They're like, man, I want a life of impact, of purpose. Then you start talking about obedience and here's the effect. All of a sudden, that was fun to do. All of a sudden, that takes the air out of the room. Whenever you hear the word obedience, you're like, all right, time for me to check my phone, you know, check in on ESPN, what's going on. But here, here's the reality, is that's what is key in, abide, in abiding with Christ. That's what it looks like based on this text. But the encouraging thing, so the secret to fruit bearing is abiding, the secret to abiding is obedience, but it's a circular thing. I'll repeat that. The secret to abiding is obedience, but the secret to obedience is abiding. Are you tracking with me? Please tell me. So it's a circular thing. If you want to abide, if you want to, if you want to abide, you have to be obedient. But if you want to be obedient, you have to abide. And so then that brings you back to the lake with the journal and the pen in the Bible. That's how it works when you're staying connected when you're intentionally carving out time to be with him, all of a sudden, obedience becomes less about a checklist and the things to do and more of as an as a outcome or an overflow of the intimacy that you have with Jesus Christ. When you're connected to that, that vine, all of a sudden, it's no longer you with the checklist. It's him flowing perfectly through you. I'll use my second illustration. I'm just having so much fun with illustrations. My second illustration is this. I don't know if you guys have issue with these in your home. I've been through, I don't know, with three kids, probably about 500 of these. They're literally made to break. Where does it break every single time? Right at the connection. You plug this sucker in, and it's usually like a gradual decline where at first you can kind of wiggle your phone and after a few wiggles, you can maybe get the, maybe get the uh, lightning bolt thing to show on your phone. But eventually it's just like, doesn't matter how much you shake it, how much, how much you, you try pl- replugging it in, upside down, new plug, whatever. You're like, this thing's just shot. They break, they're made to break. Thank you, Apple products. But here's the idea of this picture is that's how obedience is interconnected with abiding. You see, when we're not being obedient, that's the sever, that's, that's the break in the relationship. But when you're being obedient, then all of a sudden it just flows so smoothly. So you see the, the marriage between the two is so important, obedience also abiding, coming and stemming out of that relationship. There's my second and last uh, cool visual for the, for the day. But getting back, thinking through this, there's so much that you can glean from this section. Really, I could spend a whole series unpacking this, 
But a couple last thoughts that you see when this picture that Jesus is painting, he's describing himself as the branch. And in that day and age, most, most farmers or people that cared for grapes, somebody that understood that, they would have one primary main vine or plant, and then they'd have a vine dresser that would take care of it. And here's the thing to understand is that the vine dresser wasn't too concerned about the feelings of the branches as it came to trying to stir on more fruit. What does the vine dresser do? He does a couple things. He cuts off things that need to be removed and he cuts back things that need to be expanded. So there's some cutting back and there's some cutting off that needs to be done. And you think about that in this context, he says what the, the vine dresser does is he prunes what is succeeding so that it succeeds even more. And he cuts off things that are dead. For us, when we think through our own lives and our own routines and patterns, a lot of times that's the exact same thing. There's some things that need to be cut back and there's some things that need to be cut off. Honestly, play that out a little bit in your own life. What are some things that maybe need to be cut back? I jotted down a, a few possibilities. How about reducing screen time in your week? Anybody get that weekly update or report that tells you how many hours? Anybody get a little bit convicted every time you see that report? You're like, wow, that's a lot of hours. Maybe screen time, something not inherently bad, but maybe too much of it within moderation is the better expectations. Maybe cutting back of that. Maybe cutting back on, I don't know, how about sugar? Anybody need to cut back on your sugar intake? I don't know if that's uh, just me. Uh, maybe that's uh, become too much of a, a crutch in your life. Maybe it's in this season you hear a lot about people, the level of alcohol consumption. Alcohol, we've talked about this before as a church, isn't inherently bad. It's the moderation that's the important piece. Maybe those are areas that we have to think through, what does it look like to cut back? Then there's some things that are real crystal clear in scripture that need to be cut out, that can't continue. Maybe for you, that area is, is a, a dishonest business practice. Something that you know is you're, you're kind of skipping on the taxes. You kind of have this routine. You're paying this person under the table. You're doing something that you know doesn't honor God in the business field. Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe it's with your, your spouse, your abusive language. That's just not appropriate. You just can't use those words or that language as a Christ follower. Maybe it's a secret habit of, of some viewing patterns online, things that you know are not honoring to God. Those things, it's not a question of cutting back. It's a matter of cutting out. You just need to be done with them. And that, again, goes back to abiding. When you're abiding with Christ, all of a sudden that's possible. You're like, I'll support you. I'll empower you to do those things, the cutting back and the cutting out. There's a number of things in this section that leave theologians kind of arguing. Actually, it's interesting that such a sweet passage has so many areas of debate. I'll touch on just a couple just very briefly. The first debate is of the idea of burning unfruitful branches. Some think of that as the idea of losing salvation. You're like, what? wait a second, if these are branches, how could they be burned? Some think that it's losing salvation. Other, others think it's a picture of divine discipline. I would lean towards a pattern that I see more in the New Testament where it's referring to false conversions like Judas that they're fresh off of dealing with that claimed faith, but it never actually took root in their life. Eventually their lack of works exposes that they never had a genuine faith to begin with. They seem to be connected to the vine, but they weren't really ever having full life. Other question that people have in that section is when he makes reference to being already, he says, already you are clean. It's a wonderful reminder for us that this isn't talking about you're being forgiven because of your, because of your actions or your good works. You're forgiven because your belief in things that he's spoken. He'd shared the message. These guys have already embraced him as savior. This has nothing to do when it talks about bearing fruit with earning God's favor or salvation. 
also talks about prayer in there. I told you there's a lot of stuff. It also talks all about prayer and him promising to do whatever you're asking. You're like, uh, that doesn't seem to be accurate in my own practical life. But think about the context of this. The context of this is in bearing fruit and kingdom purposes. If we walk closely with him and his word governs our requests, we should begin to see regular answers to prayer as it relates to bearing fruit. That's what he's talking about in this context. Last questionable thing I'll just touch on briefly is he says, prove to be my disciples. Again, he's not saying that that it's the fruit that we bear that saves us, but the fruit is a demonstration of the authenticity of our faith. It shows that this, this is a, something that's real, that's, that's really taking a root in my life. There's a living, active relationship with God and that results in bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit in your life, you have to ask some real tough questions about whether or not you're genuinely in the faith, whether or not you're connected to the vine. But really the whole thing in this section is we miss the point of the passage if we focus on the fruit bearing. Our focus should be on the abiding piece because the fruit bearing is just the result of the abiding. If you're wondering how to stir and to renew and get back the joy in your life, it has to begin with the abiding piece, abiding with Jesus. Continue in the text. You're like, how long are we going to stay on that one? Uh, So much in there. Verse 12 will continue. We won't spend as much time in these next uh, shorter sections. Verse 12 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servants does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, uh, should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, important words there, so that you will love one another. So basically here, we're told in the prior section that obedience is a part of that abiding piece. But sometimes when we're told to obey his commandments, that can start to feel a little bit overwhelming. Honestly, if you're following the Lord for a while, whenever you hear that, kind of like the balloon illustration, you're kind of like, man, obey his commandments. You're like, what does that look like? You start thinking about Levitical law and all of the the different things and the expectations. You're like, man, I don't know how that's possible. If they were never able to do it, how can they expect that I am going to be able to do it? That's why I love this passage. Jesus, when he's talking to them, He uses the expression commandments, but then he clarifies what the commandment that he's calling them to. The commandment that he's referring to is that they love one another, that they love one another in the same way that he's loved them. All of a sudden, that seems a a little bit more attainable when it's narrowed down like that. We see that passage or idea or theme repeated in the New Testament on a regular occurrence. Galatians 5.14 says the same thing. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Further clarification for us when we're thinking through how to have a dynamic relationship with God, how to stir the joy meter in our life, man, you gotta go back to the basics. Doing a good job of loving people, loving people, pouring out practical love on those around us. And when he describes it, it says in the text, well, no, the, the best way or de- best picture of love is when you're willing to die for somebody. It's not necessarily saying you're looking to l- find ways to step in front of traffic for somebody, but instead to elevate the needs of others before yourself. To elevate your need, the needs of others before yourself. That is so hard to do. I know, I recognize it, even in my own life, because we have a bent towards me. 
Think about, think about the, the primary reason why this has to be a command. Do you ever find it kind of funny that God has to command us to love? Wouldn't you just think if we're inherently good, as the world tells us, that love would just be a, a natural thing? But instead, here we see that it's a command. Why is it so difficult? Two reasons I think it's difficult. The first reason is because if we're honest with ourselves, we can be unlovable. We can be unlovable as we're still shedding the flesh, as we're taking off old layers of self. Man, there's parts of me that I'm like, man, I'm not very lovable. In fact, tell the person next to you, you're not very lovable. My wife, you can say that too. There's times that I'm not exactly, (laughs) she's being very nice because we're on film. Uh, We're not very lovable. That makes it difficult. The other reason is not just unlovable, is that it's unnatural. It's unnatural. What comes natural to us is what the world keeps selling us is it's all about you. As long as you're happy and you're fulfilled, it's all about your happiness. It's just the opposite of this. So that's why he keeps saying the only way that this is possible is if you're connected to me. And the longer you're connected to him, the more intimate relationship. It should be as we get older and older. Man, we should be the, the, the our senior saints should be some of the sweetest possible people. Think about that. The, the longer you're connected with the vine, love should be the outcome of that connection. It's pretty cool to see here also that the outcome of that is he begins to use terms as he describes us like friend. I love that because other passages, I got to be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm told that I'm a a servant and he's the master, I'm like, man, that's kind of tough. I I get it in concept, but man, that's that's hard to embrace that. But here he describes it. He says, when you you obey me and notice that it's important that that's a, a, a response, if you do what I command, I'll consider you a friend. That's an awesome place to be, to think of yourself as a friend of God. What a beautiful picture. All of a sudden, if you're looking for your joy meter to go up a few notches, reminding yourself of that, that he, when I respond to his commands and his directives, when I'm obedient to him, all of a sudden he sees me through the eyes, the lenses of a friend. It continues in the, the text in verses 18 through 25. Another part of uh, that's key in all of this is he's trying to clarify expectations for these uh, disciples for his absence. See, so reminding them that they shouldn't be shocked in all of this, even with their attempts at loving and attempts at, at doing good works, even with all of that, with bearing fruit in their character. He's saying, you're still going to be disliked by the world in which you've been placed. On my account, he says, if they hated my mas- me as the master, it wouldn't be surprising that they would hate you as well. But it should be, and here's an important for- reminder for us, I think, present day, is that the reason for their hate should be on account, it says, on account of my name. So there's some things that we get confused about and we mistakenly believe that we're being persecuted mistakenly think that because we try to impose our beliefs on somebody else and they respond negatively to that, we're like, see, I'm being persecuted. No, that's not for his name. We believe that we play the role as judge in somebody else's life and they don't respond well to that. You're like, see, I'm being persecuted. You're like, no, that's not persecution. We can't mistakenly think that something that's just us being insensitive is persecution. When we link our political preferences to Christianity, when someone dis, uh, d- uh, responds to us negatively because of our political views, that's not persecution. That's, not, uh, that's just us not being wise with our interactions and being wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. For us, the persecution should come for the name of Jesus. For the name of Jesus. Verse 26, he tells us that. He says, but when the helper comes, we talked about that last week, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me 
from the beginning. Verse 27 tells us that we bear witness about Jesus. It's being the, as being the one and only hope of rescue. For us, that should be the only reason that we're persecuted or hated because of the message of Jesus Christ. But when we're going back to the idea of what are the key things, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the key things that bring us back to a place of, of joy, of energy, pulling us out of a funk, one of the things that I would suggest is this exact thing, is talking to other people about Jesus Christ. I mentioned that with the, the group that I spoke to from the uh, local synagogue there, and that was a, a, an amazing experience. But it's so key for us to realize that we're not at war. It's not us versus them. It's such a confusing time in our current world. I remember recently talking to a, a close friend that was having struggle with his son that really had never professed faith and has gone a, a pretty uh, opposite direction from the Lord. And I was talking to him and explaining, oh man, you've got you've to treat him with the same kind of gloves, tender gloves that you would somebody that's completely lost, somebody that's in the world that hasn't found Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you what, when you do, when you get to do a good job of loving someone, sharing the message of Jesus Christ, seeing the light finally click on, seeing a life transformed, it's like nothing else in this life. All of a sudden, there's a, a purpose to your day, a purpose to your step. I don't know if you remember the old movies with the Blues Brothers. They're from Chicago, and so I've always been a little bit attached to those goofy guys. But I remember they said something. It, it kind of bothered me, but I kind of liked it strangely as well. They always said that they were on a mission from God. Anybody remember the Blues Brothers movies? Anytime they're entering into a new scenario, they would explain that was their credentials. They would say, well, I'm on a mission from God. I was thinking that's a, a pretty dumb thing to say in a comedy, but a pretty true thing to say in a life of purpose and meaning. When you're trying to reclaim joy in your life, man, what an awesome thing to be able to say. Man, I'm on, a, I'm on a mission from God to get out the message, to pass on the amazing news that we're going to bear witness about the way that Jesus Christ has transformed my life and how he's been trustworthy in that. I'll conclude with one final story just from the conversation with uh, some of the teens the other night on this Zoom call. One of the girls, I was actually really impressed with her question, and some people asked, uh, they asked a variety of questions, but one girl asked me this. She said, is there, Pastor, is there any time in your day, kind of throughout your day, that you kind of question and you kind of wonder whether or not Jesus is who he says he is or, or if, if he is who he claimed to be? It's an interesting question from a young uh, 13-year-old or whatever she would have been. I was thinking about that, and I feel like God gave me the response to her. I explained to her, I said, listen, I think it's one of those things, kind of like the chair that you're sitting in. Now, when you came and probably and sat down, you didn't give it a second thought. Now, maybe when that chair was new, you would have been like, well, I'm not quite sure. Did I tighten all the bolts well enough when I assembled it from Ikea? I had to think through it. But after a while, after the track record of faithfulness, all of a sudden the doubt is no longer there. You're not checking bolts every time you sit down anymore. All of a sudden, because of his, its faithfulness, you just plop right on down. And that's what I'd say is true with my walk with Jesus Christ. That's what you're inviting people to. To start with a, a man just working it out, but over time, seeing his faithfulness, I'll tell you what, that'll change everything when you see somebody all of a sudden get to that place of trust. These are the things that Jesus invited his disciples then and his disciples now too. Abiding and bearing fruit, loving others and sharing the good news. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, thank you for this chance to be in your word. And we thank you for this passage. It's such a, a beautiful picture of your intent for us, that we would stay connected to you, that we wouldn't be arrogant enough to think that we can blaze the trail on our own. We wouldn't be arrogant enough to think that we can find joy independent of you. Your hope 
And your desire for us is that we'd have joy and have it overflowing in abundance of joy, but you recognize that that's only going to be found in you. I pray going into this week ahead that that's where we would seek our joy, not in the different vices, not in the different uh, means that the world throws at us, the different crutches, but instead in you and you alone. Pray that not just for our community, I pray that for myself, that this would then ripple out of us be a transforming love that impacts everybody we cross paths with. Again, we thank you for your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I
Well, thanks again, worship team. Thank you for being a part of this service each week. Again, just a reminder, we're excited about starting to see people take steps towards re-engagement. We have this new sticker system I walked through last week. If you need a reminder that, you can check out last week's video, but we're really building and hoping that people will prayerfully consider maybe even being back for Easter. God bless you. Have an amazing week.